Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. Subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to get notified when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com, to find out more about us and give online. Thanks again for joining and enjoy today's message. With this, um, it's it's John chapter 1. Uh, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in Christ... In Christ Jesus, the anointed one, there's life. In him is the power to bestow life. He has the power to give life to us. And the life that is in you and I is the light that's within you and I. And so it's only given by one. It's only given by God himself. He has the power to bestow life. He has the power to give life. And the life and the light, the life was and is the light of man. Darkness cannot overcome it. So Jesus has abiding victory. Jesus and and his conquest is accomplished. What he did on the cross, it's accomplished. There's, There's nothing now that can separate you from the love of the Father. And so as you've accepted this truth, the truth that you've received him. How many of us have received him? I've received him as you trust in, as you adhere to him, to Christ himself. We're talking about Christ himself, Jesus. The God of the universe makes his home in you. And this is why Paul, this is why Paul said while talking to the atheists and the philosophers of his day in Acts, in Acts 17, 24 through 28, on his, his famous sermon, the Sermon on Mars Hill, he said that God, the creator of heaven and earth, needs nothing from us to exist. In fact, in him we live, in him we move and exist, and in him we actually get our being. That's what it says in verse 28. In him we live, in him we move and exist, and in him we get our being. And it's in us that he has decided to dwell. That's crazy. (laughs) It's in you and I that he has decided to dwell, to not just go in and out, but he's actually decided to have his resting place within you, 
to dwell there. Like his presence, the God of the universe, the big, magnificent God who made the stars, the sun, the moon, the trees, the seas, the oceans, everything. The man, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the three in one, the one who breathed life into Adam when he was lifeless has decided to dwell in us. That's, it's a place that was not made by man. You were not made by man. We were made by God. So how special and how precious that he decides to make his home in you and I. So special and so precious. The God who needs nothing, he has chose you because he wanted you. He needs nothing, yet he wants you. He needs nothing, yet he has decided to dwell in us. He, he needs nothing, yet he sent his only begotten son to die for us so that he can go and sit right back at the Father's right hand and the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. His very presence, like, that's insane. <laughs> That's who's in you. It says this in John 1, 12 to 13. It says, but as many as did receive and welcome him. This is the amplified version. It says, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to those who believe in to those who adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name, who were born not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God, that is a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified. And so... The truth is, if you believe in him, then you've, and if you believe in him, and now he has given you the right, the authority, the privilege to become a child of God. So it's nothing that you do. It's nothing that you have. It's nothing that you can think in your head to make you any more worthy because he is the one who has did this. Those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely in his name, though when you, when you believe in, you trust in, you adhere to him alone, you begin to realize who you are. And, it, and then even further, it says, John 1.14, the Amplify says, the word, which is Christ, became flesh, and he lived among us, and we actually saw his glory. Glory as belongs to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, who was full of grace and truth, absolutely free of deception. Jesus is the glory of the Father. That is, we see, we wanna see the glory. He is the glory. <laughs> 
Jesus. Jesus is the glory. And so this is so important because it says, and, I, and I've seen this before, it says absolutely free of deception. It's like, what does that mean? Free of deception. Like there's no deception in him. But the, the thing is this. If there's no deception in him and he's living inside of me, then any other type of lie that I'm living or any other thought that's hovering amongst me or that I'm walking in, it becomes deceased because the one who has no deception is living inside of me and there is full, he is full of grace and he is full of truth to reveal that to me. And so, although we can believe in him, it's one thing to believe, but then there's a step further of knowing him. It's a step, it's a step further of, of, of once you meet him, then you begin to know him and then you begin to trust him. And when you trust him, you are able to actually let him define who you are. And, and so meeting him and knowing him, it's actually the route to extinguishing every type of deception in, in our lives. To meet him and to know him distinguishes every type of deception of getting our value from the powers and principalities that work around us. Because there are powers and principalities that work around us, that influence us, that cause us to believe and walk in deceit. And, and the truth is this, that if I'm looking to him, meeting him, knowing him, I want to talk about some deceptions, some temptations that we can end up falling into. These are things that are very, very common um, that we can end up getting our value in, our value in what we do, our value or in what I've done, um, what other people think, what I have or what I don't have. Um, but all of these things, it's no longer existent because when I'm, when I'm in him and he's in me because there's no deception in him, right? And as I'm bringing these things to him, as I'm bringing myself in the light, he is the light that's within us. And so he begins to expose the inwardness of my heart. He begins to expose the influences of family, scripts of life, messages that I received growing up. He begins to, to expose those things that have meshed my heart and it, they're, they're so ingrained that I... You and I, we a lot of times don't even realize it. But the truth is, there is grace and there is truth. And there is grace to meet you and I here as this truth is revealed. And he who is full of grace and truth uncovers. He uncovers deception and he answers the question, who are you? He answers it, who are you in any other way outside of himself? Because a lot of times we can answer, who are you, in a way that's outside of the biblical narrative that he's called us to be. And when that question gets exposed of who are you and whatever our response is, we actually become naked in front of him, wounds and all. And so this is, this is why... Jesus was validated, his identity was validated and confirmed by the Father. 
And, and we're going to get into that scripture of, of how the father, when he was getting baptized, he said, this is my son. Immediately, this is my son whom I take delight in. Like, this is my son, my beloved. You are my beloved. So you're my son. You're my beloved. I take delight in you. Jesus had not even done anything at this point. But he affirmed him. His identity was solidified by his father. And so this is what's true, that I can only know who I am by knowing him. So the the title of the message is, Who Are You? In reality, though, we're going to see in Scripture that question is actually asked by the crowds to John. It's asked, in essence, to Jesus in different types of ways. In fact, even his family begins to tell him who he is and to tell him what success looks like as he's beginning his ministry. And you, we, we're even going to see a demon ask someone, or a few people, who are you? That's in Acts. Well, we're going to get into this. And it was so interesting because that question kept asking the question, who are you? And, and, and this is truth. I, I can only know him. Um, I can only know who I am by knowing him. And the, this is the truth, not just knowing of him. You can know of somebody but not know them, right? I can know of a celebrity. I can know of even someone that I, maybe their family. I don't know. I can know of them, but if I don't actually have a relationship with them, do I really know them? Probably not. You're not going to know their likes, their interests, all of those things. And so, but the truth is this, when I know him, I know who I am. And I am not coerced into the deception of defining myself by the, all of these temptations of my value being rooted in anything outside of him. So knowing who you are as much, I love when, 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 when God does this because it's like as our eyes are fixed on him, he turns his eyes to us. But then his, as our eyes are turned to, as his eyes are turned to us, our eyes turn back to him. So the question of who are you is really as he's asking that, we're then asking the father, well, who are you? <laughs> because when I ask him, who are you? Then he be, I begin to answer that question, who am I? And I know who I am because only the father can give me that answer. And, and so, when I know who he is, I'm awakened to the purpose of my life. I'm awakened to the purpose of my unique life. There's never going to be another one of you. Never, ever. We come alive in him because life is in him. For in him, Acts 17, 28, right? For in him we live, in him we move, and exist. In him we get our being. And so I want to lay the groundwork for, for who we are and also the temptations of defining who we are outside of the biblical context. And so let's look at Luke 3, 21 through 22, because this is the father, like I was mentioning just a while ago, affirming him, affirming Jesus, who was the son of God, in front of everyone. Luke 3, 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus' identity was validated by the Father. And then it's interesting because after that happened, so we, we know plain and simple that he's the son, that he's the father's delight, that he's beloved. And, and just think about this for a moment. This is, this is where we need to get our identity from, that you are beloved, that you are a daughter, and, and it is so, God takes delight in you. And, and even from right here, but even from the beginning of time, right, the God of the universe, he created everything and from the beginning of time, you see in Genesis, there's 10 times God says, let there be, let there be, let there be. He begins to form creation. He begins everything. Let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. Um, and as he's doing that, towards the ending um, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and I want to jump there um, because I think this is important so that you can see from the beginning of time. <laughs> let me just get there really quick. Genesis 1. Thirty-one, I'm sorry. It says, towards the end, after, after he has created, he, ten times he speaks, let there be. And... If you don't believe me, I recommend you counting them because that's exactly what I did. <laughs> because it's like, is it really? But you know what? That's the creative power work of God. And, and, and he, as he said that, let there be, let there be, let there be. Um, verse 31 of chapter 1 in Genesis said, And God saw everything that he has made, and behold it, and behold, it was very good. And so from the beginning of time, man and men, male and female, he created them in his image. It says just before that, um, too, as you read a little earlier. But the truth is this, he called it good. So from the beginning of time, he has called that it was good for you to exist. Like it's good for you to exist. You, you might think, I don't, what's the use of my life? What's What's the point of being alive at times? Or, or what's, what's my purpose? But validation from the Father, even from the beginning of time, that it is so good. It is so good that, that you exist. And we see that there. Then we, we go and we see how the Father validates. He validates Jesus in front of everyone, in front of the crowds. And so what's interesting, though, is after he does that, he ends up, Jesus ends up going right into, he ends up going into the wilderness. And so these are the temptations then that are, are Jesus is confronted with. In essence, his identity is questioned um, by Satan, followed by the affirmation and the validation of the Father. Shortly after in the wilderness, it says, um, Luke 4.1, uh, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the, the devil. And then in, in these, these verses from verses 3 uh, all the way to 12, I, I'm going to read some of these briefly because um, I'm just laying a groundwork. It says, 
Satan says, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. So immediately, he's trying to get Jesus to do something so that he can, this temptation of you are what you do. You are what you contribute. You are this. And, and, and Jesus, of course, tells him, right, man doesn't live on bread alone, but of, but of every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then we see in verse 5 through 9, the devil starts telling him he'll give Jesus the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, um, which is so crazy because Jesus is the glory of the Father. So he already knew who he was. So why would he trade himself? He was the glory of the Father. His, he made everything. He was already existent before the ending of time, before the beginning of time. So of course Jesus was not going to fall for that deception that if I do this, if I worship you, if I put my allegiance to you, then you're going to give me all this. My Father already owns it. So why? Why would I do that? And so you, you see this another temptation again. You are what you have. You're your possessions. And then in verse 9 through 12, then he says, if you are the son of God, jump off. <laughs> jump off the cliff. The angels are going to protect you. They're going to they're gonna get you. They're going to hold you up. Um, but in reality, Satan was really just inviting himself to, uh, inviting Jesus to throw himself down so that other people might believe in him. The temptation that you are what other people think. Because remember, at this point, Jesus hadn't done anything. He was practically invisible. So how could he think he had worth and value? If he didn't know he, who he was, of course he would have been given into that deception and he would have begun to entertain that thought and that narrative would have been the life script that he would have walked into. But he had a life script from the Father and the Father gave him life and in him is life and there is light and there is no deception in him. So he knew this and so he didn't run with this again. And the truth is in that deception, a lot of times we can put a pedestal on what other people think of us, about us, the decisions that we make, what we do. We can be very uh, prone to, I am what other people think. Um, what do I say or not say? What do I, um, do I tell this person if they hurt me, if they didn't hurt me? What, how am I going to be perceived? So those are the subtle things from that temptation. and and. The truth is, when you are free from that, true freedom really comes from knowing who you are, that you're lovable, you're beloved, you're a daughter, it's so good that you exist. And this is the crazy thing, because in Luke 4, 13, it says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And so it's not a matter of if, but when. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, your identity will be questioned. And when that question is asked, who are you? What's the substance behind it? Whether it be through an interaction, because it may not be directly asked to you, who are you? <laughs> but your situations, your circumstances, the storms, the joyful moments, the trials, the exciting moments, 
when you're at a high point in your life, how you answer this question will determine the way in which you and I behave. It'll answer the how and the why we do what we do or what we don't do. See, when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. If I, knew, if I know I'm deceived, would I want to be deceived? No. But when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. And so this is why we bring ourselves to the Lord before him. We submit our lives, our hearts to him, because in him there's no deception. In him, darkness cannot hide. In him, I see me for who I really am. And I'm not just talking about seeing yourself as a sinner, because I'm not trying to bring condemnation. This is not what this is about. Yes, I was a sinner on my way to hell, but God. And by and through his grace, I have been saved. I am now washed, I am sanctified, I am justified. I'm a child of God now. So do I see myself in that light or do I still see myself with condemnation wedged over my head that I'm not a child of God? Because if you're, it's not, sometimes you think, I am what I do or I'm what, of, what I've done. And if we think that we are what we've done, then we're never going to walk with our head lifted up. We're never going to walk saying that I'm worthy. I have the right. I have the privilege. I've been given the authority by the Father to be who he's called me to be. You're, we're, we're, we won't walk in that if we're walking in deception of thinking I am what I've done. And Because in him we live. In him we move and exist. In him we get our being. So when we see the question, who are you, raised to John, it's several times. It's initially when he's baptizing. Then again, it's when Jesus begins to grow a following. The crowds begin to ask him, what do you think about this? How he answers this question actually determines what he thinks of himself, his assurance of who he is and who he's not. And so let's turn there, John 1, 19 through 22. And I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed truthfully and did not deny that he was only a man, but acknowledged, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. They asked him, here they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the promised prophet? And he said, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. How do I answer the question that the Levites and the priests asked John? Because John's asked, who are you, not just one time, but two times, followed by several questions. They tried to give definition to who he was by referring to other prophets. 
They were so adamant on asking this in different ways, but each time John held his confession truthfully, it says in verse 20, not denying that he was only a man. He acknowledged who he was not and really just straight up said no <laughs> in response to follow-up questions. He didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to prove anything. He, he, he was solidified in knowing who he was. And, and he then stated it boldly and confidently in 23, said, I am the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Um, then it's so interesting because after that, then they ask him again in verse 24 through 25, well, then why do you baptize the people since you admit you're not the Christ? So in other words, what you're doing doesn't line up with what we think you ought to be doing based off the answers you provided us of who you are. They wanted so badly to label John. They wanted a description to give back to the priests and Levites, the Pharisees. And this really just ties back to you, this, these temptations of you are what other people think of you. You are what you do. These, these temptations confronted John, but John was well acquainted with who he was, who he wasn't, his purpose, his audience. It wasn't for them. It wasn't to entertain. It wasn't to get an applause and approval for validation. It wasn't for any of those things. And the crazy thing, and I don't think it's, it's not crazy, but it's, it's interesting. This all took place at Bethany where John was baptizing at the place of the crossing of the Jordan River. That's John 1, 28. This all took place at the crossing, the Jordan River. I know as our church, we are, we are very familiar with the Jordan River as we're learning and we're, our pastor has, has, we've been constantly in, looking in Joshua of crossing over and it was the Jordan River. This is, this is not a coincidence because this interaction took place in Bethany, crossed that Jordan River and some context, what was happening there at the Jordan River, people were repenting. People were turning from their old ways and they were accepting Jesus and walking into a new life. They were literally crossing over. <laughs> And, and, and this was not even just Old Testament. This is, this is now, but look at, this is the significance of the Jordan River. This is significance of what was to come. The presence of God is what led the people. The presence of God went before the people in Joshua. And the presence of God, John was preparing for the way of the Lord. Then Jesus comes and get, gets baptized at the crossing. And he is preparing the way. He is the way. He is the one that, that, that split the, Death and life, he, he conquered it. And, and so it's so, it's so interesting that it was there right at that moment. Even then when Jesus, when John is being confronted with his identity at the crossing, Jesus is there being baptized, fulfilling all righteousness, signifying the release into his ministry. He's going into new life. He's walk, he is new life, right? Jesus, God incarnate passed through the Jordan River into a new stage of life. Like, he began his ministry. He, be, he began to do the will and the purpose of the Father for his life. And so that Jordan River right there, it represents that moment of, of clarity, clarity of who we are. Because Jesus gives hope, salvation, healing in him. And, and, and so the truth is this, Jesus went underwent baptism and death only as a human could. He lived a sinless life, rose from the dead only as God could. And so that, that step was another step in identifying who he was. 
and how he was with us as sinful people. And so he identified with us so we could be identified by him. This all took place at the crossing place of the Jordan of the river. John's identity is confronted at the place of the crossing of the river. And Jesus's identity is affirmed and validated right then and there by the father. A little afterwards, even in John 3.26, John began, his followers, they, they began to tell John, basically, Jesus is baptizing everyone with larger crowds than yours. People are flocking to him. What do you think about that? John, that's John 3.26. And that was the, that's the Passion Translation. But in essence, what they were saying is, everyone's going to him, other translations say. The crowds are going to him. To believe that, to, to actually like think like, well, it's me versus you, that was trying to seep in right there. And when that happens, it takes through and a narrative begins to unfold of the me versus you, and that breeds comparison. I can imagine the thoughts that arise, even with us now. What happened when we are at the crossroads of a narrative of comparison that unfolds for our lives? When something begins to happen in someone else's life, a blessing yet the deception we begin to believe or the questions that are then asked of our identity. Do you still think that you're enough? Do you still think that you have nothing left to prove? Does it make you think now that you're not as great as you thought? Does it make you wonder if you really are an image bearer of God, that you're beloved? Those questions begin to plant deception because your, our identity is found in the Father, and I am an image bearer of God. I am validated by the Father. I am beloved of the Father. So when these questions arise, how do I answer them? Jesus' identity was confronted and validated by the Father at that place of the crossing. John's identity is questioned again, and his, his identity is confronted. And it's just at that crossing, your identity, our identity begins to get confronted. Whatever crossing you may be at, your identity will be, is the way you answer that question, who are you? It's confronted. And I want to share that, tr this truth with you. Just as the Father validated Jesus, Jesus validates you and I today. He answers, who are you? Right then and there in Luke 3, 21 through 22. When I say, who are you? The Father then says, you are. <laughs> he answers the question. If you can put Luke uh, 3, 21 through 22, it, it's so we're asking the question, and the Father has already answered it in his, the word of God. He is the word, right? And, and, and so it's like, when I ask, who are you? If we go to verse 22, the Father then says, you are. Who are you? 
You are my son. You are my beloved. So you need to appropriate that. We appropriate that. Who are you? I am the, my, I am the daughter of, of, of my father. I need to put that in my perspective. I need to ingrain that in my heart and know that the father's talking to you and I this morning. The father's talking to you and I in that midnight hour. The father's talking to you when you're confronted with that identity um, question. Who are you? Look at the word and say, this is the father talking to you. You are my daughter. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. In you, I find delight. This is what the father is saying to you. This is what solidifies who you are. It's not what you do. It's not what you have. It's not what other people think of you. He is the one who solidifies. He is the one who defines who you are and deception deceases. It's gone. Clarity of who you are is is then there because the Father is directly speaking. His word is alive and active even now, right? So his word is speaking to us. His word is saying that you are my daughter. You are my beloved. You, in you, I'm well pleased. And and then when your heart begins to believe that and know that you're trusting him in faith and you are bringing yourself back to him, your eyes get focused back on him. Oh, that's right. That is who I am. So that's who I am. Let me, let me keep beholding you. And it's not, it's not about us, but he loves us so much that he tells us who we are and then we come back and we love him. It's like, oh Lord, I cannot not love you because of who you are. In front of everyone, in front of the crowd, the father does that. He proclaims, he declares, he decrees. He's defining. He says, I'm defining who you are right here, right now. This way you won't get it twisted. This way, your identity doesn't come from the crowd. You won't get your identity by what you do. You won't get your identity by what you have. I'm saying it out loud, Jesus, the Father is basically saying. And he says it today. I'm saying it out loud, daughter. I am well pleased and delighted with you, exclamation point. That's what the script, exclamation point. He's shouting it. He's joyful like this. You are mine. You won't get your identity anywhere else. And so that place of crossing is where we're confronted. What have we internalized about ourselves? Our values, our reasons for living, our humanity, our being. We see it again, you know, uh, with the question, who are you? It's answered and it's defined by Jesus' family as they begin to ask him to show himself. They begin to pretty much ask him to prove his authority. It's like, it's time for people to see what you do. But at this point, they didn't even believe in him as a savior. Um, show the world who you are. That's in John chapter 7, verses 3 to 6. And I'm going to read that. It says, it says, so Jesus' brothers came to advise him, saying, why don't you leave the countryside villages and go to Judea where the crowds are so that your followers can see your miracles? No one can see what you're doing here in the backwards of Galilee. How do you expect to be successful and famous if you do all these things in secret? Now is your time. Go to Jerusalem, come out of hiding, and look at this, and show the world who you are. (laughs) His brothers were pushing him, even though they didn't yet believe in him as a savior. Jesus responded, my time of being unveiled hasn't yet come. 
but any time is a suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like so full of grace, full of truth, confident. He didn't have an anxious presence. He just, <laughs> my time has not yet come. We see a family perspective right there of what success looks like. Go where the crowds are so followers can see because right, this deception of you are what other people think of you, you are what you contribute to the world. Quote, no one can see what you're doing in the backwoods of Galilee in that scripture. In essence, you aren't valued or significant if no one can see what you're doing. Success right here is defined by visibility and the applause of man. So that temptation to believe those who are familiar, those familiar scripts, the scripts handed to us, in this case, pressure of maybe following a, a family commandment, following this idea of what the success looked like, come out of the hiding, show the world who you are. But that question, who are you? How do you define who you are? What do you, you use? I'm talking about you and I today, what do we use? to define ourselves. What is the makeup in which we answer that question, the blueprint of who you are? What does that consist of for yourself? Is it construed based off what you do, what you have, what you look like, what job you work, the way you do your makeup, the size pants you wear, the number of posts you share, the number of ounces, I put this for myself, the number of ounces you pump because I'm breastfeeding right now. <laughs> And a lot of times it can be discouraging because it's like, man, I only pumped 0.3 ounces, this is nothing. And I begin to say, man, I'm so worthless. How can I feed my son? Right there, deception. I'm not what I contribute. But that question can begin to unfold. The number of times you pump, that's who you are. How silly, right, saying it out loud, but... The things that we say in our minds become truths in our, that we begin to live by. Is it construed based off the number of times you and your spouse have a fight or don't have a fight? How your kids behave? How people respond when you share an encouraging word, when you speak, when you sing? The number of times you, you log in workouts all of these questions and the ways in which we answer them trace themselves back to those three temptations. You are what you do, you are what other people think, and you are what you possess. It's so easy, it's so easy to, to want to define myself based off those things, based off the roles, I mean, really, when someone asks you that, who are you? I can't count the amount of times that question is sometimes related to the work I do. We, we're so quick to say what we do in our job fields because we have attached our identity to that. And there's different roles currently that we're in or have transitioned to. I wrote a few, it could be, I'm a little sister, I'm an aunt. I'm a pastor, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, I'm a singer. These are just things that we can, we, we, maybe we have many hats. But the truth is, I'm a, I don't know, fill in the blank, but who are you? 
And I'll ask this related to John 1.12. Have I received Christ? Have you, have you received Christ? Yes, I have. <laughs> Do I believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on the Lord? Yes. Do you? Yes, yes, I hope so, yes. <laughs> Amen. Yes, then guess what? Then you have been given the right. The authority, the privilege to become a child of God, born of God, supernatural birth, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, justified, wrapped in this paradigm, no longer identifying myself with any of those other things. I'm a child of God. I'm blood-bought. You and I are blood-bought. So when the devil, when the circumstances, when the things begin to ask that question, let them ask who I am because then I can confidently say, I am a child of God. You've been given the right to say that. We see it time and time again. Even So John's being asked this question in several settings. Jesus's, our identity is confronted at the crossing place of the Jordan of the river. And when you say this for, for our house, that when, as we cross over, every day you're crossing over something. Every day you're, 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 you're tackling something. And you're going to need clarity when you're crossing over. You're going to need clarity in knowing who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, that determines the direction in which you're going. You can easily cross over somewhere, but is it the direction to the Father? Or is it to somewhere else? This goes back into knowing who I am. And I can't know who I am if I don't know him. And there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing him and knowing of him. There is a difference. The difference is that little word of. I can know him or I can know of him. And I don't speak a lot of Spanish. And I probably should have asked you about the... Okay, but I, do, I was researching some of it. Of conocer and saber. Like, tu sabes? Like, and then... But I remember learning in, in high school, when you want to talk about knowing someone, you use conozco or conocer. But if you're talking about, you know, I, like, oh, you know, like, do sabes, right? And the Lord showed me that little, he said, there's a difference between knowing me and knowing of me. And those two words, conocer and sabes, are very different. Because sabes is about talking about facts or even gossip or even you can know you can know logical facts you can know real things about something but you that word is not really about knowing someone it's just kind of like you're using it right like an, an interchange and 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 honestly I looked it up because I'm like I, I just want to make sure this is right Lord <laughs> but the truth is this I can know of something well and and this is this is pretty much, while Saved and Gonoset both translate to know, they don't mean the same thing. They're used for very different purposes. Saved is more related to knowledge, ability, whereas Gonoset refers to being familiar, acquainted with something or someone. So you're like meeting someone. And guess what? I want to meet Jesus over and over and over and over again, every day, every day, day by day. I don't want to just meet Jesus back then. I want to meet him now. And so it's like, oh, I can use this Gonoset. And it's crazy because when you look at the Bible, well, this is the last, one of the last stories that I'm, I, I want to talk about in the scriptures when I was saying it was a demon inside of a man that began, that asked the question to the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 17. And let's, let's go to that scripture right there because as I'm breaking down Gonoset and Savit, this is important because 
it's like as as that was as that happened this is so crazy <laughs> but he as there paul it says it says even to begin with it says that paul was it says god was doing extraordinarily miraculous thing by the hands of paul people were even getting handkerchiefs and they were getting healed but that very first part it says it says god was doing extraordinary things by the hands of paul it was god it was god that was doing this acts 19:11 he was doing it Okay, he was doing this thing. This is why is this important? Because if I replace God in this sentence with Paul's name or my own name, I end up believing and identifying myself with the deception that I am what I do. <laughs> Paul was doing miracles. If I say Paul was doing miracles by the hands of Paul, what? <laughs> That's not biblical. <laughs> no, God was doing miracles. It's God who does the work. It's God who has the glory. It's God who has the power. But if the minute I put my name right there or Paul's name, I've now made man a god, but a little g, an idol. And in what authority was Paul walking in? Not in his own. It was Jesus the Messiah. He recognized it. He knew it. He trusted he adhered to his identity in Christ. Therefore, he was able to be a carrier of the glory of God. And because he was able to be a carrier of the glory of God, he really recognized it wasn't his own works that things were happening. People were getting healed. Things were happening, extraordinary miracles by the hands of God. It wasn't his own strength. God did the miracles. The manifestation of the glory of the Father was seen and is seen only through Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus is the one at work, okay? So I say this because now you know that it was God that was doing it, but in Acts, as you go a little further, 19, it says that there was, 19, 13 to 16, there were some traveling Jewish exorcists also attempted, they also attempted to call the name of the Lord. Another uh, translation basically says that they were, they wanted to use the name of the Lord. And they said, they called the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I implore you and solemnly command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't know Jesus. They just wanted to use his name. They knew of Jesus. Do Savis Jesus. They, they probably knew a little bit about him, but they didn't know him. They did not know him, and they tried to walk in authority. They had no authority. Seven sons of one named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. They were going around previously just doing this, and maybe maybe it was, it, it was being done, but guess what? They heard about Paul. They heard about the works that God was doing by the hands of Paul, but I think they got deceived thinking Paul was doing the works by his own hands. They fell for that deception. I am what I do, and if I am what I do, I'm going to get people, I'm going to get that popularity. So they try it out here <laughs> and check this out. Seven sons of one named Sceva, they were doing this, but the evil spirit resorted. I know and recognize and acknowledge Jesus. And I know about Paul. When you look at this scripture in Spanish in the Bible, in the, Span I, the Spanish translation, it actually uses the word, when, when the spirit is saying that, when the spirit says that I know of, it says I know Jesus, it actually uses conocer. It's so crazy. It actually uses that. The, the, it says, he says that. He says, 
Let me, let me um, read it for those of you who, are, who speak Spanish. It says in Acts 19.15, it says, Pero al espíritu maligno replico, conozco y reconozco y reconozco a Jesús. Conozco, I know Jesus. And then it says, y sé acerca de Pablo. Pero en cuanto a ti, ¿quién eres? I know about Paul. He used said. They, he used like in essence the another form of saber, saying I know about Paul. This evil spirit knew Jesus. Come on, they, they 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 of course they knew the supremacy of Jesus. They wanted to be above him. And so the truth is this: they are the, the evil spirit asks the seven sons of Sceva that he they ask um he asks them that and and then it says Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize, here we go. Even English Standard Version 2, it says, but who are you? That's what it says. That question again, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out that house naked and wounded. They took it upon themselves to use the name and the authority of Jesus, yet they did not know him. They thought their authority rested in themselves. The seven sons of Sceva, identified by their earthly father, why didn't they use their father's name? (laughs) They knew their position at the time, the work of their choice, going out, driving out spirits. Success was defined by quantity and recognition. And it was rooted in comparison so much that they said that Paul does this, I can do this too. And that evil spirit in essence probably was like, what authority are you walking in? Because <laughs> I don't know you. I know Jesus. I heard about Paul. But I don't, who are you? They try to use a formula. And let us not fall into the temptation to think that if only I do this, 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 and this, and have this formula, then my, my identity will be validated. Then I'll know that who I am is really rooted in whatever I'm doing. They try to use this formula to control the narrative of what other th- people think of them, but also I think what they thought of themselves. Like they really thought they can do this. And so... This, the problem that faced them was the same thing that we're talking about of who you are can only be defined by who he is. And so more than that, they didn't have no relationship with God. They knew God, they knew, they, they didn't know Jesus. They knew of Jesus. No relationship. So they didn't even, they didn't possess the power or the presence of the Holy Spirit. But more, more importantly, I kind of thought maybe it was good they were stripped naked and wounded, honestly. Because when we're naked and wounded, it's actually then when we only see the, and it's only then we can see how we answer, who are we? Who are you? When you're stripped naked of masks, of, of you are what you do, what you possess, what other people think, a lot of times we're not even aware of our answers until we actually are stripped naked and wounded. Stripped naked by triggers, wounded by circumstances. What authority am I really operating? The things that trigger us, the things that surround us, it strips off everything. What have I been putting my value in? In what I have, in what others think, in what I possess? 
Because I tell you this, that the contributions of our lives, whatever we have placed a higher value on, that has become our value system. That's not your authority. That's not our authority. We might think we might be able to walk in confidence if I only get that job, if I only get to do that ministry, if I only get to this certain weight, if I only make this much money, dress like this, if my kids behave this way. But guess what? That is not real authority, daughter of God. His authority is not in when you do what other people think or what you possess. His authority rests in him alone. And we walk in his authority by knowing who we are and because we know who he is. And we know we are his, and if we are his, if we believe this to be true like we have established, if we adhere to, trust, in, and depend on him, he is my father, he gives me value, the father takes delight in me, I'm his beloved, bought, blood brought, bought, and I'm washed, sanctified, and justified. True power is in him. I in him and him in me. Paul understood this. John understood this. Jesus knew and understood he is validated by his father. It was present and it was ongoing. Because he knew him, God could use Paul. It's not so much about being used, it's about knowing him. It's not so much about the works, it's about knowing who he is. And, but because he knew God, God could do the extraordinary through him. God wants to do extraordinary through you. God wants to see the glory of God is to be manifested through your life. You hold the glory of, of the Father, that you're a carrier of his glory. And the only way that happens if, is if you're walking in who you are really, not like someone else. There's great things to be done for the Lord by him through you. And you can do that, and we can accomplish that when we know who we are. So you think, what's my purpose? What's my value? Meet him now, meet him then, keep meeting him day by day by day, because now then you won't no longer know of him, you'll know him, and when you know him, you know who you are, and when you know who you are, you're going to walk in his authority, because he's the one doing it, he's the one doing it, it's not us, it's him, but how wonderful that he's decided to make his home in you and I, how wonderful it is, don't rejoice in what the authority you possess, that's not supreme, rejoice the supremacy of knowing me, of knowing that your names are written in heaven. That's what Jesus said when he sent out two by two, when they were doing works, they were casting out spirits, they were doing all of these things. It's to know him and not just know of him, not looking for the blueprint in someone else's life. He's the architect. I look to him. I come alive in him. He is the breath that I, I breathe. He is my daily breath. I come alive in living color in him. That's the only way. That, that, that is the only way. You, you, the very breath is in you too. It's not just in so-and-so. It's not just in the person next to you. You are a work of the Father. So behold your creator. Behold him and let him define you 
so that you can walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit without limitation. And I think that's, I'll say this, Psalm 17, 15, it says, because I am innocent, I will see your face until I see you for who you really are, talking about Jesus. I will be satisfied in an awakening of your likeness in me. That's the only way you'll come alive. I won't be satisfied until there is an awakening of your likeness in me. That's when we're truly living. So I, I just want to end with, with that. So, Father, thank you. Thank you right now. Thank you.